when you tell a business like, hey, I can help you make X dollars conservatively, here are the projections, and here's how I came about the numbers, and people believe them, it's not hard to close a deal. Hey, podcast listener, you're about to discover insider tips, tricks, and secrets to making more sales and converting more prospects into customers with email marketing. For more information about the email marketing podcast or the autoresponder guy, go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast. It's John McIntyre here, the autoresponder guy. I'm here with Neil Patel from Quicksprout. Now, uh, Neil is the uh, co-founder of Kissmetrics, Crazy Egg, and Hellova, and uh, he was actually on the podcast a while back to talk about content marketing, because I had a, uh, I had a bit of beef with content marketing, I needed to clear it up and get some, uh, some expert advice on uh, why it works and uh, you know when it doesn't work, And uh, but really the reason why I brought Neil back is uh, I've been reading some of his posts, and there's been some fascinating stuff about how to close big, you know, big consulting deals, and it's got nothing to do with you know putting together nice proposals or uh, you know polishing up your sales skills. It's things like spending one hundred sixty-two thousand three hundred one dollars and forty-two cents on clothes, and uh, how that translates into bigger deals, or you know, you know, having a luxury apartment and different things like that. So uh, it got me curious, and I thought, man, it'd be fun to get Neil on to have a chat about some of this, uh, some of the stuff that no one really talks about when it comes to that I've found anyway um, with this kind of stuff. So. You know, to have a chat about consulting and clothes and Ferraris and all the stuff that uh, you need to apparently get some big deals. Neil, how are you, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on, man. Good to have you on again. So I've done a sort of a quick little intro there. Um, can you give the listener, I mean, if they've been listening to the podcast for a while, they're probably going to be fam- uh, pretty familiar with who you are, but can you give just a short background on you know who you are and what you're up to at the moment? Yeah. So uh, I'm just a serial entrepreneur. I like creating products for marketers. And I also blog on the spare time at quicksprout.com and neilpatel.com. Some of the products I've created are like Kissmetrics or Crazy Egg or Hello Bar. Yeah. Cool. Easy. So, and then so like lately you've been putting out, so, so Quicksprout, Dan, you mentioned it's a sort of like a, it's a spare time project, is it? Yeah, it's like a personal blog. So I just really enjoy blogging. Yeah. Eventually I'll end up releasing a business model from Quicksprout probably in the next four months, five months. Yeah. And it'll all start making sense. It'll be a so- another software company. Okay. And then for that reason, I started blogging also on neilpatel.com because I always want a personal blog, right? Yeah. Okay. Very cool. I didn't even know you had uh, that was neilpatel.com. I have to check that out. So uh, it's it, brand new. Brand new. Very huh? few posts. You know what I've been liking? Yeah. I think at your um, some of the the way your copy works on your uh, on your pages or the way it's designed. Do you design these pages yourself? You got someone doing that? No, nah, I have a designer. Yeah. Because they're very, uh, very well put together. The way you've used the copy and the design, especially I like the consulting page. When you get, you know, you get this nice little graph, and the way it just goes through, man, it's very clean, very tight. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. And so Neil Patel's brand new, and that's uh, just so you can have a personal blog. Exactly. Mm. Okay. So what's uh, let's talk a bit about the clothes, the spending. I mean, you spent so one hundred sixty-two thousand dollars on clothes. You know, as a test run to see if it, you know, got you more clients, right? And it turns out it did. More clothes, watches. You mentioned a Ferrari. Can you tell, tell me a bit about your experience yeah, with that? Yeah. So when I moved to Vegas, I lived across the mall, uh, and I live on the Strip in Vegas. So it's not the best mall. And reason being is it's all luxury goods, right? So everything's mm-hmm. expensive. And you start buying stuff, and I was like, you know, it'd be fun. What was if you know, like. I bought clothes and that because I was already starting to buy some clothes here or there because you know when I need suits or tuxedos or whatever. Mm. And I'm lazy, so I'm going to go to the place that's just like within the complex versus driving somewhere, right? I don't even have a car. Yeah. 
And I thought it would be fun to just like see if I can actually help or make more money from it. Because you see all these other people who look like they're like wealthy executives and they dress well. I was like, you know what? Let's give it a shot. Because I don't believe the clothes make a person. Mm. But the reality is people do judge you based on how you're dressed. And the fancier I dress, the more money I started making. It's actually funny. When I release a blog post, people actually started emailing me like a month to two months later. uh, And they would be like, hey, Neil, just want to say thanks for that blog post. I decided to get like a few thousand dollar wardrobe got some nice shoes and a nice outfit and I wear it to my business meetings now and boy has it made a huge difference I continue to get compliments on my shoes and people want to work with me because they look more successful and I was like this is awesome it's not just me who's finding it uh, to work other people are as well wow okay now I wonder this because I mean because what I was thinking about is how could I apply it because I personally I don't meet clients in person you know I'll go because I've been living in Thailand I'm in Canada right now but I'll usually do something on, you know, via email and then Skype. And so maybe there's a video chat, which is usually rare, but say there might be a video chat where I'll put on a nice shirt or something, but I suppose it doesn't, it's probably a bit hard to tell if you're wearing, you know, a $10,000 shirt uh, on Skype. But uh, I wonder if this same principle applies to, like, if you're trying to charge big money, $100,000 or $500,000 for deals, it sounds like the whole, the whole image has to be congruent. Because a guy that's charging five hundred grand, he's not going to wear stuff from Target. He could. I actually wear a lot of stuff from Target. Target's <laughs> legit. Like they have like they have a lot of stuff at a good deal. Okay. Um, but nonetheless, you're right. People don't believe that they'll shop at Target, so they wouldn't want to spend any money with them, right? Mm. So you got to dress apart. It's just like if you go into a big law firm, who's supposedly like the best lawyers at something, would you really want to pay them if they were in shorts and t-shirts? Sure, if they're good, why not? But people have this image lawyers should be dressed in suits and they should be well presentable. So it's like same goes with realtors. If you're buying a home and you're buying a $5 million home, would you want a realtor who's driving around a Toyota Camry? And I myself don't care, and I would, but most people wouldn't. They want that realtor who has a nice car and all that because it shows that they're supposedly successful, right? Or at least that's a perception others have. Hmm. It's a really interesting thing because, like, on the one hand, it kind of makes you feel a bit annoyed at humans or just the way our brains work. Because, you know, in the, on the one hand, it makes a lot of sense because it's the way we, you know, we're constantly scanning for incongruencies. So, if someone's trying to charge $5 million for a house or $500,000 for a contract, you know, if we're going to spend that much money, we need to know that we're going to get a return. And part of that evaluation procedure is to well, think, well, does this guy's image, does, does it fit? With the five hundred thousand dollars, is he dressed the way a five hundred thousand dollar deal guy would dress, or is he dressed the way you know a school teacher would dress? Because if he's dressed like a school teacher, then our brain just it feels probably it probably just feels uncomfortable paying a guy like that five hundred thousand dollars. Exactly right, because you're like, wait, if he looks like a school teacher and he's fully successful, why doesn't he have the image to go with it? Now you don't need everything, but it all helps. Yeah, yeah, and because you mentioned clothes, you've got uh, uh, you mentioned a bunch of clothes, it's like shoes. What is it? Seven one thousand seven hundred ninety dollars, up to five thousand dollars for shoes. You've also mentioned uh, the Ferrari. So like, yeah, you yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> my buddy, we were racing Ferraris around a track. My buddy took a picture of me in a Ferrari, and it got posted somewhere on the web. Yeah. And people assumed it was my car, and someone hired me. And it made me a million bucks in uh, commissions, like a lead gen business, right? So I was like, this is Steve. All right, they're going to hire me because they think I have a Ferrari. I didn't say I have a Ferrari. I ended up telling them. But I got a good business deal out of it, right? Mm. Because it was like, oh, we sell luxury cars. You have a Ferrari. You can relate with us. Like, let's do business together. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. You know, it's, it's actually interesting. I've been reading this book uh, called Richestan. Have you heard of it? I have not. Okay. So it's this fascinating book by oh, it's a journalist uh, from somewhere. And he's written this book about, we've got a lot of books about self-help and how to make a million dollars and, you know, your millionaire mind and all that stuff. And uh, this book's more about people who are $30 million net worth and up. And so people who are getting into more serious wealth where, you know, it talks about, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a couple different colleges for butlers that teach you how to, well, household manager is I think the term now, where you learn how to manage a household for rich people basically. And uh, it talks about Palm Beach and some of the parties that go down there and the money that they spend on, you know, you can have a $150,000 car and people like laugh at you because, you know, it's a cheap, they think it's a cheap piece of crap because they're driving a, you know, Ferrari or a Lamborghini or a Rolls Royce or something like that. And so it's been a really interesting look into how, like, people with a lot of money, they do think quite differently. So there's a lot of different rules that happen, rules of the game that happen once you get into the higher echelons of uh, wealth or society or money, that sort of thing. Yeah, it totally changes, right? Perception is quite a bit different. The internet world is a bit unique in which, like, in San Francisco, no one cares, right? Hmm. But it's not really like that everywhere. Okay. Well, cause in San, so in San Francisco, you've got, because you mean because of the startups and I mean, there's so much money there already, it's not that big of a deal? Yeah, well, people don't care how they dress in San Francisco, right? Like, they don't really judge people based on that. There's a ton of successful people there that wear shorts and t shirts. That's true. Like, even like, he doesn't dress that nice and he doesn't care to dress nice, right? So. Mm, it's kind of like that startup uniform. Like Mark Zuckerberg, I'm reading one of a book about him right now. You know, they all turn up to you know business meetings with uh, investors who are going to drop you know ten million dollars investment in the company, and they turn up in you know jeans and a t-shirt and a hoodie. Exactly right. Like that is their startup uniform. They like it. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose if it works, but uh, but it's interesting though. I, it's funny too. I was having this conversation with a friend a week or two ago. He was in L.A. And uh, he wanted to go and have the experience of what it would be like to buy a really expensive watch. So he went into probably the, I can't remember what the store was called, somewhere in LA. And goes in there and finds, uh, I think he was looking at watches for probably thirty or $40,000 and trying them on and just seeing how it felt and chatting to the salesman. But then he, uh, when he finally came out of the store and sent me a message on Facebook, he'd been, uh, he was going on and on about this watch, which was, eight, I think it was $830,000. So more than most people spend on a, <laughs> more than most people spend on a house. And, uh, at the time, I, I was like, "Well, it doesn't even make sense. What's the why? Who would spend eight hundred thirty grand on a watch? That is just that's just silly. I'd rather buy a few cars or something. I go and I go and go to Antarctica and go on some adventure. But then I read this post, and it's like, all right, well, maybe you buy an eight hundred thousand dollar watch, and you're going to go and close it and say a ten million dollar deal. Maybe it's a good decision. And it all works out. It's a question of can you get in front of the right people, right? Because mm. So, like, I have expensive watches that are in the six figures, nowhere near that high. I think the most expensive watch I have is probably, like, 150, 170 grand, something like that. Yeah. And yeah. when it comes to, like, expensive watches, the more expensive they are, the it's usually most people don't even know about them. Because expensive watches, most of the brands, they're not too flashy. Mm. So, it's like, all my expensive watches look like they're, like, $1,000 max. Hmm. But it's kind of funny. like you could actually you could potentially close a huge deal because if the right person knows you have it, like oh this guy's someone because not just the cost of the watch, those watches are also extremely hard to get. Mm-hmm. Like I was trying to buy this Patek Philippe watch that was I think like six or seven hundred thousand dollars, and I was trying to get it on the secondhand market because people don't really wear them. So when they have them, they may have worn them like ten times, yeah. and the value of the price goes down by like fifty percent, right? Mm-hmm. So like I was trying to get one of these on the second market. Because I knew if I ended up getting one, due to the fact that I know the right people and I could put myself in you know, the right meetings, whatever it may be, 
I can probably close a really huge deal from it. Yeah. Okay. Did you end up getting the so like I even, uh, no I, the guy wanted five hundred thousand bucks for it and I was trying to get it for three hundred. Ah. Uh, okay. So this negotiation, he was going through a divorce and he needed money right away. And I'm like, look, I'll wire you the money right now. I'll do it for 300 Because yeah. he's not going to be able to move it for 500 quickly, right? And yeah. he needed the cash. And I was like, I'll bring you the cash today, right? Like, you'll have it in your account. But he wouldn't do it. Oh. I wondered too, like, uh, yeah, it'd, just be, it'd be so interesting to wear, you know, wear these watches like that. What happened when you first started doing this? Was it, was it a weird feeling? Uh, well, I've always been a watch guy. I've been collecting them for years. So I've had nice watches for a long time. I've just never, I never mentioned that part of the blog post, right? Like I have a ton of them, but it's funny. Like they work in all aspects, personal life or, you know, business life. Like it's funny. I know I have a specific gold watch. It's tacky, but when I wear it on dates, like it makes it so much easier to do well on the date. Are you serious? I'm probably dating the wrong people. <laughs> yeah, I kid you. Right? <laughs> like go- yesterday night, some girls was like, this is a beautiful watch. And I'm like, yeah, it's just rose gold. She doesn't know what the hell it is. <laughs> like, it's a traditional watch. It's Breguet, but she has no clue what it is, right? Yeah. She just looks at it and she's like, rose gold, it must be expensive. And the funny thing is, is like, the watch was decently expensive. I think it was like 20 something or 30,000 or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if I wore like one of my fancy watches, a hundred thousand bucks, the girl probably would have had no clue what it was. Yeah. And either way, it doesn't matter if I watch, right? Usually it, it doesn't make that much of a difference. But depending on who you're dating, some people are really superficial here in America, right? Mm. So it's like I, I'm just playing off of people. And for me, it's all fun experimentation. Like recently, I haven't done a blog post on it. I should though. I got a helicopter, right? <laughs> so the helicopter has been closing me more deals than anything else. It's kind of like crazy. People are like, you have a helicopter? Because I don't <laughs> drive. And I got it for pennies on the dollar. I'll end up breaking down the price in the blog post. Okay. But um, yeah, like it's really funny. It's cheaper than a Ferrari, right? And I got a weird, unique deal. So it's cheaper for me than it would be for others. But, you know, in general, they cost more. So is this you flying into a meeting? Like, the amount of deals... What was that? You will you fly the will you fly it into him? You'll be like, all right, I'll be there in ten minutes. Let me just—is there someone to park my chopper around there? And they nothing. No one's ever seen the helicopter other than like friends have used it. Some people have taken pictures. I have no pictures with it. Yeah. But what what's happened is word spread really fast that I have a helicopter, right? And it's funny because like people will be like, hey. Uh, you know, they'll be like, oh, I got this Ferrari, yada, yada. You know, I got this Lamborghini, and I don't really say anything. But eventually, people end up finding out. They're just like, I heard you have a helicopter. Really? You have a helicopter? Because that's like rare, right? Who the hell has one? And like, oh, you know how to fly? And I'm like, oh, I got a pilot. The pilot takes me wherever I want to go. Hmm. So people just think it's funny, and like, more people want to work with me. Like, how successful must you be if you have a helicopter, right? That's, a, that's what goes through people's mind. <laughs> that's very cool. The next thing is going to have to be like a private jet. Yeah, private jets are expensive, right? You need to be like <laughs> you need to be worth like a half a billion to a billion dollars to really get one. Really you can get one a lot earlier, but you're just blowing money. Well, I so at, uh, I'm just really Yeah. Go ahead. I was, thinking, I was looking on a, a site that uh, that sells these kind of goods, these kind of vehicles. You can pick up a little I think it's called a Cessna or whatever, like it's one of those small four seater planes, uh for you know, eighty thousand dollars. I don't know if that would really get the image across, but maybe it would. 
No, I want like a G5, right? Like a proper. Ah, uh, you like uh, Gulfstream. Yeah, like a Warren Buffett type of plane. Like those are expensive, but they're great. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading actually in this Richard Stern book. It talked about how you know Gulfstreams are the most expensive planes you know on the private market. You can actually go and buy a seven three seven, which is a lot bigger than a Gulfstream, and uh, it's cheaper than the Gulfstream though. So you can have this big. You can fit like thirty or forty people, or fifty people on this plane, and uh, it's cheaper than a Gulfstream. So maybe yes, that's an that's option. The Google. So uh, Larry and Sergey they both own seven thirty sevens. Yeah. Yeah, that was the story in the book. So, <laughs> I wonder how much you can buy the one. The problem with the 37s are in the private market, there's a ton of small airports. You can't land those at these small airports. That's a big problem with them. Ah. So, the reason the Gulfstreams are great is because there's so many small airports next to like uh, residential areas that most people don't know about. They're not noisy. Very, It's very rare that planes take off from. But when you have a small private plane like a Gulfstream, you can go in and out of them. You got a 737. You have to land at a major airport, which has more traffic. You have to do roundabouts right in the air. Like it's just more headache getting in and out. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. But uh, just imagine the parties, man. You could have. You could probably have a couple king size beds up in there if you had a 737, and you know a boardroom. <laughs> You'd have a lot of space up there. <laughs> I definitely agree with you on that one. But like, yeah, it's so, so it's like, I also tried this recent experiment too. My buddy and I, we were at this um, party at Palms Casino in Las Vegas. And one of our friends, she's a bottle service girl at one of the nightclubs. Yeah. So all her friends were there as well. And there were some guys. And my buddy came up with this idea. He's like, dude, he's just like, how well do you think people knowing that you have a helicopter would actually affect like perception and brand? So for the first half of the party, I just walked around, casually talked to people just to see what would happen, right? Yeah. Nothing happened. People were just like, oh, cool, just another dude, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Then the second half, my buddy would go around. He'd be like, yeah, he's like, oh, have you met my buddy Neil? And like he would do this while I'm on the other side of the room. And they're like, no, they're like, yeah, this guy, because when they were talking, like, oh, we live in Vegas. I'm like, yeah, I live in Vegas as well. My buddy Neil's like, uh, you know, lives in the same building. So they're like, oh, who's Neil? They're like, oh, you haven't met Neil? And he'll slip in the fact that I have a helicopter. And you'd be shocked on the amount of people that are lined up and they'll just be like, oh, I want to meet him. Or what does he do? Or like, it's just hilarious on how like wow. people perceive things. And, and it's funny because it's like, I, what they don't realize is I would never date anyone who knew I had that kind of stuff because they're dating you for the wrong reasons. Hmm. But it's just funny how little things affect how people perceive you and what they're willing to do. Right, right. That would be fascinating. Do you actually do you actually fly this helicopter around very often, or is it more? It's a perception thing. Uh, I don't. So I have it in L.A. Yeah. And it's like a, think of it like net jets, right? Where you're renting hours. I'm renting hours on the helicopter. And the reason I have it is because I go to L.A. a lot. And my dad lives in Orange County with traffic and everything. It's a pain in the butt to get to him. Yeah. So I'll use it so I can see my dad more often than anything else. And also from the air, airport, I can go directly into the helicopter and it'll land me right on top of the hotel. So I miss traffic, hmm. um, which is the best part about it. The flip side is it's um, like once people find out you have it, they, their judgment or how they perceive you changes and – in some aspects, it'd be good, but in most ways, what I found is like it's bad because then people start wanting to be around you or be your friend just because they think you have money. Mm, okay, so that would probably be the dark side of some of this stuff. We start playing around with, you know, more expensive clothes and cars and helicopters and jets. 
it starts so you get the good side of it when you make more money but then yeah it tends to attract the wrong kind of people so you probably have to be probably a little bit strict with how you or careful with who you spend your time with and who you bring or which people you tell about it yeah and i tend not to tell anyone in my personal life right yeah. so in my personal life most people like don't know i they assume i have money based on how i dress or how i hold myself in conversations but they don't know how much or where I live or any of that. And I tend not to ever bring that kind of stuff up. The web knows on the internet there's more about me than people know in my personal life. Reason being is that people who read my blogs are like internet-based people, right? Entrepreneurs. Mm. And it's like they're not going to judge me. They're just going to be like, oh, cool, awesome experiment. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah. So what about – because I was thinking like if you're, so in your social circle, these are people who don't really you – don't, you don't bring this stuff up. I suppose you don't really go and Google your friends. But if they – I mean so it sounds like they could if they wanted to go and you know, find out who, you know, who you are or what you do. But you just find that most of them don't. Yeah, most of them don't. I try not to mention anything. And it's funny. Like the helicopter, my assistant says it's his. Like I don't care, right? He's taking a few girls on dates and he's like, yeah, check out my helicopter. You can whoever you want. And he loves it because it helps him close. Like, I've never taken a girl on the helicopter, right? He's taken them on many times. Yeah. And it's funny because it's like it costs me money every time he uses it. So, but yeah, at least he's having fun with it. Right, right. I mean, there's two aspects to it, right? Like, you wouldn't want to meet, say, a life partner or, you know, you're probably a serious life no, partner with that kind of way. But if you're just, if you're just, you know, feeling a bit lonely and want some company, I mean, why not? Yeah, like, I would have never worn the gold watch to the date yesterday if I knew I was would ever do anything serious with her, right? Yeah. So it's like, I'm not interested in a relationship with her. Yeah, interesting. I'm not saying I did anything either way, but I'm just saying all that stuff helps, right? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, man. One thing I wanted to ask as well, which is slightly slightly different topic from all the clothes stuff, is how to go from, you know, it's a lot of people get into consulting in some, you know, some in some way, and uh, they're doing, you know, I think you mentioned a guy who's charging, you know, an SEO guy might charge, say, $1,000 a month or $2,000 a month. So one thing I was curious about is how do you go from charging, how does someone go from charging, say, a couple grand a month like that to going and doing deals for $500,000 or $250,000 or even a million dollars? What's the, yeah, what's the transition period like? So you're saying how does someone go from getting small deals to like a multi-million dollar deal, correct? Yeah, anywhere from up, I mean, anywhere up from, say, six-figure deals and up. How do you go from the small ones to six figures and up deals? It's the pitch. It has nothing to do with what you're wearing or any of that. I've got it nailed down pretty well because I've pitched so many times. But it comes down to what are you offering? So when you tell a business like, hey, I can help you make X dollars conservatively. Here are the projections and here's how I came about the numbers and people believe them because hopefully they're accurate. It's not hard to close a deal. Like I remember I went into a diamond company and I said, hey, here's your quarterly earnings. You know, here's your, uh, and they were providing some stats. I'm like, here's how many visitors you got on your website. Here's how many sales you generate. Uh, here's your, you know, average conversion rates. Here's the average spend per customer. Here's what it costs you to acquire a customer, et cetera. And I was like, I think you can conservatively increase your traffic by X amount with the current numbers, uh, you know, with your search traffic. Here's how many uh, more conversions you would get. Here's your cost. Here's your cost of the product. Here's your profit. Hmm. And I broke down conservative, medium, and aggressive estimates on what I can do. When you're pitching someone like that and you're pitching them a million bucks, like it, it's not that hard because at that point they're like, all right, you actually think you can move my needle you know, for a million dollars. You're telling me you can drive me extra $50 million a quarter in revenue, hmm. right? Like it, it, It's not hard. It's just math at that point. And yep. that's how you close these bigger deals. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's actually what I, I've been getting that answer from a few people that I've asked this question to. Which is, you just go to the numbers, look at what return you're going to produce for them, and then quote a, you know, quote them something that's a, a percentage of that. Do you have a rule where you say, all right, if the projection is say on a conservative estimate, we're going to do fifty million dollars this quarter, so the price is going to be you know one in fifty one million dollars? Do you have it's going to be ten percent of your projection? How do you work that out? Uh, so you're saying on what I charge or? Yeah. So like, let's what do you say, mean? So it's kind of like, so when you work out, all right, here's the projections, here's the lifetime value, here's the conversion rate, here's the, now here's what we could do, here's your, you know, conservative and aggressive estimates, and then you go, so where does the price, how do you calculate the price based off that? Because the price is obviously based on the return you're going to get for them, right? The price is whatever I think I can end up charging them. Okay. But then how, so, and then, but that's based on how much you think you're going to make for them, right? But also what I think I can get approved (laughs) budget-wise. Okay. Okay. And then, so how do you figure that out? I always ask them, I'm like, hey, so what are you looking to spend on marketing? And a lot of times they'll give me vague answers. I'm like, well, you probably have some sort of budget. Like, is it 100 bucks a month or is it 10 million bucks, right? I'm like, what type of budget or what type of money do you think you can allocate? They'll be like, oh, we're to use up our budget. I'm like, well, what resources do you think you can get when you, you know, pull together some extra funds from different departments or whatever? So I just keep prying until I get an answer. And then I try to price it within that range. I try to actually get really close to it. Try to get really and cool. juice up all the money. <laughs> That's very smart, man. That's what I did. Not much more to it. <laughs> and then, so how did you even get into this? Because you've been doing, I mean, you got uh, Hello Bar and Kissmetrics and that. Did the consulting just come off the back of that? People had seen the success with the companies and just said, hey, can you do what you did for you know, those companies? Can you do that for me too? Is that how this all started? No, it was the opposite. I used to own a consulting agency before I created any of those software companies. I've been doing consulting for over 10 years. And I don't do much consulting, so it actually makes it really easy for me to pitch people. Because right. I'm like, look, I don't really take on too many clients. I'm like, you either want to work together or you don't. And I get over 5,000 consulting leads a month. Yeah, wow. Like, that's a lot. Yeah. So it's like, it's not hard for me to tell people. Like, at this point, I'm just like, hey, here's my price. If I like your company, maybe I'll work with you. Okay. And that's it. That's These funny. days, I don't even have to trust. Okay, that's funny. That I thought because I thought it was the other way around. It was the software and then the consulting. But now this is the consulting and then the software. Interesting. No, and I try to do games and I get bored too, right? So I had a pitch earlier today, and I told my buddy he was on the phone with me. He's one of my employees, and I was just like, "Hey, how would how funny would it be if I closed this call without even paying attention?" Right, okay. and we tried making a game of it. Like, all right, so we were chatting on GChat. I'm like, I bet you I can close this deal even without paying attention to what they're saying. And so what happened? So uh, I should, I'll find out tomorrow. But I'm pretty sure I closed them. They're like, all right, send the proposal. We'll sign it today. So but until it's signed and money's wired, who knows? Right, right, okay. But so what do you mean you weren't paying attention? Were you just sitting there like chatting away on GChat? Yeah, we were just chatting away on Gchat. But keep in mind, I already knew their business and did all my research. So pretty much whatever they said, I would not pay attention to it. And I would tell them what they should be doing to their business to grow it, right? Hmm. So it's like, think of it as a, almost a one-way conversation. And I was still making it flow, right? So, But yeah. they were loving it. They were loving it. But I get bored, so I do things like for fun. And I'm like, all right, let's try a new challenge. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what's, what's the next challenge? I don't know. Oh, I'm trying to make money off of bus ads. Bus ads? You mean like so you put an yeah, ad on I'm the side to... of a bus? Man. Okay. Yeah, or on the bus stop that says like uh, stop sitting on my face, neilpatel.com. <laughs> and I want to actually see if I can make that cash flow positive. I think I can. Okay. I'm kind of creative. <laughs> what's, what's a cost on a, what's a bus ad cost to get one of those stop sitting on my uh, face? I'm going to spend 40000 
I'm going to spend 40,000 bucks for one month worth of bus ads, a lot of them. Yeah, okay. And then how do you track the ROI on something like that? I'll give them a unique landing page or see if I can get any increased revenue or people say like, hey, I saw your bus ad or whatever. Yeah. It'll be funny. <laughs> Worst case, I lose 40000 bucks. That'll be good, man. You'll be another good blog post. Yeah. But I, I think I'm a bit too creative sometimes. I like it, man. To be honest, like it's, it's, uh, it's only recently where I've seen some of these posts come out like how I spent all this money on clothes, maybe this, and how I bought a Ferrari. And they're interesting posts because it's not – you know your classic, uh, your classic, you know, marketing vlog is just gonna be, oh, you know, seven ways to do this and eleven tips here and fifteen mistakes here. It gets very repetitive. So you know, not everyone's running around spending one hundred sixty grand on clothes and then writing a blog post about it. That's a little bit trickier. You can't just sit down and write it. You know, spend an hour writing a blog post to do that. So it's cool, man. I think, yeah. uh, I think a lot of people like it too. I mean, you probably know that. So yeah, no, a lot of people they like it. So cool. All right, man. We're right on time. So before we go, if someone wants to uh, look you up and you know read some blog posts, maybe hire you for consulting, where's the best place for them to go? Is it quicksprout.com or? Yep, quicksprout.com and just go to the contact page. Cool. And then you also got uh, neilpatel.com. You can go. I think there's a consulting tab there as well. You get the blog and all that. So that's uh, very cool. There's tons of great posts here, man. So I'll uh, I'll get the uh, I'll get a link up on the. Uh, Show notes page on the McMethod.com to this uh, how spending 162 grand on clothes, maybe $692,000. Neil, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. If you want to discover more insider tips, tricks, and secrets about driving sales with email marketing, sign up for daily email tips from the autoresponder guy. Go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast, sign up, confirm your email address, and I'll send you daily emails on how to improve your email marketing and make more sales via email. You'll find out why open rates don't matter and the seven-letter word that underlies all effective marketing and much more. Don't stay in our hearts on fire.